Today's episode of the Netflix podcast is brought to you in part by UnLondon's 121 Studios, London, Ontario's premier digital media hub and co-working space. Visit 121studios.ca for more information. The Netflix podcast is a proud member of the Electric Streams podcast network. For more insights into streaming media like Netflix, Amazon, and HBO original series, subscribe to Electric Streams Media on your podcast platform of choice. Hello everyone and welcome to the Netflix podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Netflix. I'm your host Dylan Clark-Moore and today we're going to be talking about Star Wars Episode 7 The Force Awakens, which is currently available on Netflix in Canada. Before we get into it, I'd like to issue a couple of warnings. First of all, this conversation does contain spoilers for The Force Awakens, as well as some of the language may not be suitable for all listeners. Now that that's out of the way, let's get into it. here today with an all-star cast of returning Netflix guests. We're starting with Edward Platero, back for his third episode after taking on Interstellar and Strange Days. Welcome, Edward. Hey, Dylan. How you doing? I am doing great. Thanks so much. Next up, making his fourth appearance on the show is Jason R. Gray. Jason's previously talked with me about Upstream Color, Under the Skin, and It Follows. Welcome, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me back. I'm excited to do this one for a while. Right on. And finally, we have Chris DeHoog. Chris is here for his second appearance on Netflix, fresh off the debut of his own podcast. You've heard him here before talking about Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers Extended Edition. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. Uh, so quick around the table. I don't want to get to uh, spend too much time on it, but uh, Chris, what's the best thing you've been watching on Netflix recently? Um, aside from gratuitous amounts of Paw Patrol, uh, we just finished uh, By Master- choice? Uh, semi. Okay. The- my daughter loves it right now. She's in that phase. So, uh, my wife and I just finished Master of None both seasons. I hadn't watched it up till now. Right on. Um, wasn't quite what I expected from Aziz Ansari. I expected him to be a little more silly, uh, based on his stand-up and, and whatnot. Sure. But uh, one of the best—I uh, don't want to call it a sitcom, but one of the best series I've seen in a quite a while. Like, uh, I love the approach doing all the individual themes per episode. Uh, Edward, how about you? Uh, Crystal, my show. I just wrapped Master of None about a week or so ago. Uh, season two, and you liked it? It's fantastic. Yeah. Does it? Uh, I haven't watched it yet. Does it hold up to the first season? Yeah, it's good. It's a different, a totally different uh, flavor for the second time around, but uh, it's more honed. I find. Okay. Right on. And how about you, Jason? Well, here's a surprise. We've just converted this podcast into Master of None <laughs> podcast because I'm on the same boat. Like I haven't been watching too much stuff, uh, and so I've been sort of, you know, slowly um, piecing through uh, Master of None. And what do you think so far? Uh, I'm loving season two. I mean, I was I've watched season one a couple times, and but um, season two I'm just sort of piecing through with uh, with my lady, and so we're taking our time watching like sort of one a week. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's been fantastic so far. Do you guys find that you do that? Like, are you? I know that the thing to do with Netflix shows is to binge them, but do you find that you space them out to kind of replicate the old? I never way binge. Of watching TV. Yeah, I don't binge. No, I can't. Like, uh, I'll never do more than two episodes of something at once. But, um, you know, with Master of None, I'm like, it's probably going to be many years before we see season three. He's basically, you know, he said, like, the wells, 
run dry. Like I, I need to live for a while now before I can do more. So well, I remember him saying that after season one as well, right? That like I, yeah. I don't know. We'll have to see if I can come up with enough to do with the second season. Yeah. But I mean, he did. And you can feel it a bit in season two. I can feel the effort to do something special and new. It felt more effortless in the first season. Okay. I love season two just as much, but it just feels a little more like, you know, there was a real calculation in trying to make this thing great. It worked, but I, don't, I can't imagine he'd be able to turn around and do it again right, right away. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to deviate from from the crowd, I guess, because I'm really far behind on my Netflix stuff. I just finished season three of BoJack Horseman. Oh, uh, yeah. Which, <laughs> also fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I didn't think that it quite lived up to the standard set by the first and second season, but it still, it's, still went to some some deep dark places that i haven't seen anyone else did, explore did season three have the silent episode the underwater one yeah i that loved the silent was episode brilliant it gave me throwbacks to uh to the silent episode of buffy yes um so them doing that whole that whole gimmick and just yeah kind of celebrating the potential of the visual medium and and doing something a bit more artistic i thought it was like visually artistic i thought it was it was very cool to see somebody doing that kind of experimentation all right well that's enough of that the movie that we're here to talk about this week is from the year 2015 from director jj abrams we're going to be talking about star wars episode 7 the force awakens we'll start by taking a look at the way that netflix describes the movie uh first when you hover over the title it says a dark lord unleashes a star destroying super weapon the resistance falters but with one orphan the force is strong when you click on the title, the description changes to With the Dark Side Ascendant once more, the Force arises in new hero Rey, whose droid carries the key to locating legendary Jedi Luke Skywalker. Sure. I yeah. don't really have any problem with either. Um, I didn't realize this time, or until this time watching the movie, how much of it is spent talking about Luke and, like, really pumping him up and, like, he's this guy that, like, we're building everything towards. I, I guess that just didn't resonate with me before, but I don't know. I think it's kind of an important way of tying people in to get them through the story and get them invested pretty early on is, you know, the first words in the crawl are Luke Skywalker. I guess I just didn't realize how much of a shadow he casts on this movie until watching it this time. Finishing off the descriptions, uh, the genres this movie belongs to, according to Netflix, are action and adventure, action, sci-fi, and fantasy, adventures, and sci-fi and fantasy. And the movie's described as exciting and imaginative. All right, so... Um, Jason, I think it was your idea, right? Or you and Edward We together. pitched the idea of doing it together, for sure. Right. So I think it was like within days of it being announced that, yeah. that with this whole Disney... We claimed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as soon as we found out... This was the first time that I remember even hearing about a movie is coming to Netflix. Like, this was a huge deal that it was going to be coming. And you guys just, like, stuck your claim. So... <laughs> We made a crochet blanket, didn't we? Which said Force <laughs> Awakens. And it was just to show our commitment to it. We spent time on it, getting it just right. We actually scrapped it twice to, before we get the one we wanted. So, yeah, I appreciate it. Yep. Glad um, you like it. So what what was it that made you just uh, think, like, what, like why? why? Why was that your reaction? Well, I think for me, you know, it was around the time Edward and I were starting to, like, work together and the sort of, like, 
we'd known each other for a while, but we real once we realized we had this shared sort of obsessive Star Wars passion that was like, okay, well, this is on. Like we and, and then you know I st- I did a few of the podcasts and Edward did his on you know on Interstellar and and um, we just talked about like okay, well we got to do one together because we had several conversations about Star Wars and we we basically agreed on everything and we played you know when the movie was coming out we went right down the rabbit hole with the Star Wars Trivial Pursuit and like you know Edward always wins which I'm going to admit I I am undefeated there was some close ones but it was always a a very clean victory for Edward even when we played in a group and then Chris for you you've actually recently started your own Star Wars podcast so hopefully I'm not treading too much on your territory by inviting you on here no not at all doing Force Awakens before you guys get a chance to over months away from that okay so the first question that I want to ask everybody because at this point we're about a year and a half departed from when the movie first came out which means that we're like seven years departed from when the hype train started on this whole thing I remember when the movie first came out that I was definitely on the hype train like that trailer is still the that that first trailer that came out I think everybody knows which one I'm talking about like for me that's the best thing that Star Wars has ever done is that trailer (laughs) it just so perfectly encapsulated like all the nostalgia and just like recognizing that so much of what is great about Star Wars is the amazing imagery that they've come up with like all these iconic pictures so then to throw them all at you for 90 seconds and throw just enough of the mythos at you and then the movie came out and I remember being obsessed with it just so thrilled and so satisfied and now it's a year and a half later and I think people can give it a bit more of an objective look now and one of the things that I mean people were talking about it pretty much right away but I think that part of the legacy now of this movie is its similarity to A New Hope or Star Wars or Episode 4 or whatever you want to call it so I'm curious about everybody's opinion on whether that's a fair criticism where where they land on that because i know that some people are just like i hate this movie it's a carbon copy like the the top review on netflix is somebody making that argument so um edward let's start with you where how do you feel about kind of I, that that claim you, like i i think it was a big task for jj J. abrams to do this he had to basically fire up the entire star wars universe again right he's he's got to pave the way that george lucas did with but is is it going to be paved the way of the prequels, or is it going to be paved the way of the original trilogy? And I think that to set the tone to move forward for three other movies, I think he did a good job with it. Um, as far as the New Hope um, similarities, yes, it's there. I mean, it is it is run it runs the same path as the new, a New Hope, but I, I feel it has to do that. It has to introduce a whole new generation to this universe and like I took my kids to see it my daughter who's never seen any of the six previous ones like the force awakens was her first her first venture into the universe and she loved it um and I think that the movie had to do that it had to be a starting off point for a new generation and also all of us older people that are sitting around bitching and complaining about this is just a new hope again I mean I think we have to there's innocence that we have to look at this movie from, from when when we all went into A New Hope as children. And I think that the people that are stuck in the mud about this or, or complaining about it, I think that they need to take a step back and, and realize what this movie's place is in the universe and how 
I don't know. I don't think we should be sitting here and being so critical on on a thing like that. Right, but I guess I mean you said there were there were basically two paths they could go, which was go the way of the originals or go yeah. the way of the prequels. But is there not a third option of doing something that's but it, that's it, that's but rebooting it, yeah, the but franchise, but, if, but if without do, being if, so? I think if you go so far off the beaten path, then you're the guy who's destroyed the saga. Okay. All right. I think that if you try to go somewhere totally out of left field with this, I think that. Uh, I don't know. It's a risky move that may sure. not pay off. That, that's a great start, I think, because Star Wars fans are some of the most rabid and devoted fans. Mm-hmm. It's it's a love of the series that sometimes comes across, well, comes across very negative at times. If they went too far to copy the original trilogy, they would have been hated upon. If they went too close to the prequels, they would have been hated upon. If they went too original, they would have been hated on. Mm-hmm. So I think they chose. I think Abrams and the people at Lucasfilm picked the right path in cleaving pretty close to the originals, which is what everyone agrees is the best part of star wars um although i I do think that calling it a carbon copy of a new hope is pretty reductionist um on the surface level yeah sure it's it it follows the same mythic trajectory that uh, star wars always has but when you really get into the nitty-gritty of it it's doing its own thing in its own way Mm -hmm. so let me ask it this way when you were watching it like the first time that you watched it did you feel that it was a new hope again at all? Like, God, no. did you not, see not that at all? all, or were you able, or did that, did those thoughts kind of creep up afterwards? For me, it was only the most blatant things, like attacking the big Death Star 3.0, sure. essentially. Right. It was only the most blatant and obvious, smacky in the face moments. But let's that... not forget, Lucas did a second Death Star as well. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, well, and even Phantom Menace ends with you know somebody going yeah. in to take down yeah. a big ship. When that backlash happened. Um, I thought several things. First, first thing was I, I hated Star Wars fans. I hated them. I, I hated being associated with them because I was just like, you just spent the last decade like saying that Star Wars was ruined for you because George Lucas made some films that seemed completely disconnected from what feels right about Star Wars. And so J.J. Abrams did the exact opposite. He took the things that people love about Star Wars, the sweeping emotion, you know, the characters, and he understands, because he's a filmmaker, and Lawrence Kasdan, who co-wrote it with him, who also co-wrote Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, you know, he probably knows a thing or two about how these things should fit together. A little bit more than the rabid fans, as much as, you know, they like to claim ownership of the works. And so... If you're gonna if you're gonna um, bring Han Solo into the story and Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia, you've got to bring their world with them too. Otherwise, they're just they're ornaments for this new story, and they're just brought back for the purpose of legacy. So he brought back the feeling of their world, and so when Han Solo, you know, when he exits the picture, a piece of that exits, and that would not have the same impact if we didn't have that world back, at least for a time, which allowed him to introduce new characters, like new dynamics, like a female protagonist, you know, like all of these new things, if they were just there in a completely new world with nothing familiar, people would say, you guessed it, that's not Star Wars, this Mm -hmm. isn't Star Wars. So at some point, it's like, J.J. Abrams and Lord Kasdan would have faced themselves every day saying, People are either going to love us or they're going to hate us. But they knew what they were doing. They chose. They're going to. They. J.J. Abrams said, "We're going to take one step, two, one step forward, one step back. We're going to keep one foot in the past to really launch this." And mark my words, when the Last Jedi comes out, people are going to hate it because it's going to be crazy. Because Ryan Johnson does not have to stick to the book anymore. J.J. Abrams laid out the template, played it safe, 
so Ryan Johnson doesn't have to. And they chose Ryan Johnson. This is not a guy who does easy films. And um, so I'm really curious to see what happens to people's minds when they lose all of that familiarity that they they hated about Force Awakens, and now they're going to dearly wish that they had it. Yeah, because I wonder if they're if they're going to be really precious on the idea of expecting it to be Empire Strikes Back again with with the new flavors and the new toys. Um, I Chris, I can't remember if it was you that retweeted this, but there was an exchange I remember seeing on Twitter with Ryan Johnson, where people were challenging him and saying like, "Oh, are you just are you just going to be making Empire again?" And he can say, "Listen, I don't know what to say to make you feel better, except that I've been working." like putting my entire life for the last two years into trying to make something that's not derivative. Yeah, no, he's, he said, you know, I'm not going to spend this much time of my life and this much money to just recreate it, especially after Force Awakens with A New Hope. Well, Adam Driver, you know, has obviously seen the picture and he, he mentioned in an interview that the thing he finds most striking about it is that, you know, Ryan Johnson is a filmmaker who understands nuance and subtlety in a, in a way it's being shown here in a way that it's never been shown in Star Wars before. He said there are pro, there are long passages without dialogue. There are passages of implied if, implied emotions that aren't telegraphed or spoken. Whereas in Star Wars, it's very tip, you never know you never unsure what you should feel. Right. But the Last Jedi, he said, he leaves openness for that, and he thinks that that will challenge some of the ways people are expect to feel during these films. Yeah. How I've come to grips with it is because I, you know, I waffled a bit with it. When I first saw it, I was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing that Star Wars has ever done. Um, and then after I sat with it for a while, I was like, yeah, beat by beat. This is pretty a new Hopi. But after watching it again for this time, I was trying to, you know, suss out my feelings on it. And I, I understand why it is the way it is. And I appreciate that what it seems like what they've done is used the used a new hope as basically a skeleton to not only get people there, right, and kind of remind them of what Star Wars feels like, um, but also to to allow themselves to do some different things with it. Uh, you know, we're talking about, like, theme and variation, right? So, like, one of the things that I appreciated a lot is, uh, Chris, on your show recently, you guys kind of lamented how much time of the first movie is spent with whiny Luke, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then with Rey, with her being on this desert planet, with her being this seemingly abandoned orphan person, to anybody who knows Star Wars, they see that and they associate that with Luke right away. And then instead of having to have 10 minutes of, oh, but I was going to go down to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. Instead of that, you have four seconds of her putting a helmet on her head. And we, as Star Wars people, know to read that as somebody who's stuck on this desert planet but has a tie to it but kind of wishes for adventure and all of that happens because we already know the luke stuff but we don't have to sit there and watch her be whiny about it and that gives us the time and the real estate within the movie to then do that amazing chase sequence with the millennium falcon that there was nothing like that in the first movie but because they were able to to speak the star wars language and take some shortcuts they were able to spend a bit more time on spectacle and do some really cool stuff that wouldn't have been possible the first time around. Yeah, and it softens the blow of introducing this entirely new cast of characters. And also that idea of like generations, right? We we saw Luke's story and now Luke is, you know, his story has evolved to sort of the next level where say closer to what Obi-Wan where Obi-Wan was at in in A New Hope. Whereas now we're seeing his story from a completely different set of eyes and how Rey pushes her way through the narrative is different. And she handles herself differently. And she's a very different person from Luke Skywalker. 
And, um, you know, I, I'm always, I love challenging the people who say, oh, it's just a, a complete carbon copy of A New Hope. Because a lot of the people don't necessarily have, like, the whole film history behind A New Hope. And that A New Hope is essentially George Lucas's love letter to Akira Kurosawa and his remake of The Hidden Fortress. Um, literally almost shot for shot remake of this Kurosawa film. It, it, it replete with the princess lying in the exact same position in the prison cell when the hero comes to rescue her. And um, this is like this idea of like, you know, the next generation standing on the shoulders of the previous generation, but then doing something new. And if these are going to be nine saga films and then done, I like that idea of three, three, three. And, you know, the father goes through a certain story. The son goes through a similar story, but he's challenging the path of the father. And then I don't know Ray's full story yet because I haven't seen the other two films, but I'm curious to see how it all works. In general, I think I agree with the people who feel critically about the similarities because, yes, without having to do much work, you see the similarities there. But I think that there's also, I think that once people have made up their mind about that, then they start looking for details that aren't there and they're failing to see the variations. Like when we look at the characters and kind of who is who, everybody's all mixed up. I mean, not not everybody. Like Han Solo is the Obi-Wan of this movie. Like there's no way around that with you know his sacrifice and him kind of taking on a mentorship that's not how the force works <laughs> <laughs> a mentorship leadership sort of role but i mean in terms of like the main three everybody's all mixed up like poe is leia but poe is also han in some cases and like finn is luke but finn is also han and ray is luke but ray is leia like everybody's role is is mixed up right like it's not it's not so clear yeah no i was I was trying to think of how they how they fit against the original trilogy trinity as well and i don't even i don't even like to shoehorn them into saying oh this so-and-so was the new so-and-so because it, does, it doesn't fit this time around well that's what i'm saying is that like if you try to make that fit then you have to allow for the fact that not everything is gonna fit as snugly as you'd like so then you have to acknowledge that okay, yeah, there is some variation here and maybe I'm just being a bitch about it. You're cramming 10 pounds of shit into a one-pound bag. Exactly. But if we look at the original, I mean, if we look at the original trilogy, it's it's a story about growth, right? And here, but instead of now we're following one person's growth, their story, we're following a trajectory of multiple people as they find their way inside of greatness, right? I mean, the other variation that I appreciated is that... I mean, the, the the obvious one that you mentioned, Chris, was the Death Star thing. You know, the fact that we're doing another, but don't worry, it's not a Death Star. Like, that was so, like, like I, I, I imagine that my eyes rolled a bit in the theater. But it's also, like, again, that's just the skeleton. Like, that's not the mm-hmm. important thing that's happening on the screen. Like, in the original Star Wars, in, or A New Hope, whatever the fuck we're calling it. <laughs> in the first original, damn it, I hate this series. <laughs> okay, so in A New Hope... The, that's the climax of the movie is you know Luke going against the Death Star but here it's just window dressing you're barely paying attention to what's going on mm-hmm. with the destruction of the what's it called the Star Killer base the Star Killer base mm-hmm. like it's it's almost a nothing event because as soon as it starts we're like okay well we know where this is going yeah yeah and that gives you a little bit of like the familiar spectacle but then the real action is what's going on with Rey and uh, Finn and Kylo Ren on the surface. So, it, it, you know, they're taking care of business, but then they're doing something different at the same time. 
It also, I mean, again, it's when people criticize it, it's, oh, it's just another Death Star. I mean, the movie's called Star Wars, right? If we look at combat, if we look at the way that, you know, combat is structured on our planet, who wins? The person who builds the bigger tank, right? At the end of the day, ultimately. So what, what other recourse do they have? Like, okay, well, the Death Star was able to destroy a single planet. Well, how do we up that? We got to destroy five, was it five in the movie? They yeah, only get it once. I mean, let's let's not like that concept of a weapon is. I mean, aside from the weakness of it that they keep on yeah get, get <laughs> blowing up, it's a pretty badass weapon. Yeah. So I don't blame the Empire for keeping on building this thing. If it's if you're gonna put the time and effort in, it and by the flick of one button you can wipe out all your enemies, it's worth the sacrifice. So as much as we want to hammer on them for keep on doing this, if, for as a plot device. I don't know. If you I mean if you've if you've built something that essentially works and does and fits your goal. Yeah. And it then, fits and it fits with the aesthetic of Star Wars, right? Yeah. The only alternative is some sort of sleeper agent disease that we can now spread through the universe and take over people's bodies. But then we're heading into real science fiction. We're heading away from matinee fantasy, which is like what Star Wars is, right? It needs to be a big explosion. Yeah. It needs to be this big thing. I, I guess at the end of the day, like I can I can sympathize with people who are mad that once again we're fighting a big spherical space problem but i think that it's pretty easy to skate past that and move on and find something else just show Especially, them jar jar bink sequences again and just say you yeah, still unhappy say, yeah, we, can, we can do this again we can go down <laughs> we, can, we can go we can, here again guys like you, you cool yeah. hey we're gonna bring jar jar back right um please give me star killer base back <laughs> <laughs> jason i think you started to mention uh, how this is also a generational yep. thing and i think that I'm not sure which came first, whether it was, okay, let's make this a generational thing, so let's borrow some of the other elements, or if it was, okay, let's borrow some of the elements from the original one and justify it by kind of making the whole theme of this movie be generational. But, I mean, people are inspired by the legends that were created in the first movie within this universe. Like, the First Order is built out of the scraps of the Empire, right? And Kylo Ren has built up this whole mythology of what Darth Vader was and that's what inspires him so I mean it's it's people looking to what happened 30 or 40 years ago and they're trying to you know make the galaxy yeah. great again right so <laughs> yeah oh and that's really you know that's really important again like I said bringing the world of the old films we, we this the Force Awakens if it was, if it was going to work it had to be set in that world so it didn't feel disconnected, right? I think people had the problem with the prequels because it was a whole new world that, you know, predated the the Star Wars that they love. And so there was no way to stick your foot into it. Whereas with the new film, it's still in that world. Like, we're still dealing with those events. And we can't abandon, the, you know, the, that familiarity if we're going to do that. And, but, you know, it introduces a very interesting thing with Kylo Ren in that he's resisting the light side. I mean, it's a complex dynamic that is not even anywhere near, nothing like that is visited upon in the original trilogy. You know, this idea of, he, he, you know, he's fighting the innate desire to be good, which I think is fascinating. You know, he's making this choice, like he's literally fighting through it. Yeah, how do we how do we feel about Kylo Ren? Edward, we haven't heard from you in a while. What's uh, your... Yeah, Jason mentions that. I, I absolutely love that scene with him where he's talking about how he can feel the light. Like, it's it's... Because we're flipping it around, we've always talked about how the dark side is the path of the of evil, and and to hear that that for him the light side is evil, and it's pulling like that. 
because it's it's built into his his DNA that he's he's he has uh, force abilities and that means light and dark and the fact that he's chosen the dark path but the light um, pulls him and he's he's tormented by that mm-hmm. and uh, I I, see, I love that uh, about his, his character and I don't know, I like Kylo Ren as a kid. I think he's he was he's a great addition to it it's uh, I I I'm curious to see how dark and twisted they're gonna make him. Well, that's the whole idea of what they were setting up yeah. with with you know that encounter on the bridge at the yep. end was that was his you know yep. coming of age right yeah it's his full full emergence into the dark side yeah mm-hmm. uh, yeah it's his his uh his debutante ball because he fights through not wanting to do it yeah he, yeah. he you know he doesn't have the natural desire this is what I must do he just he doesn't want to do it he makes himself do it in 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 effect he's he's killing Kylo Ren in that scene. Right, or well, ben. Kill, killing, killing ben, ben, ben Solo. Ben Solo. Yeah, because yeah. Sure. Yeah, J.J. Ab- Abrams has made quite a distinction between Ben and Kylo Ren. Yeah, like, they're separate characters in his mind. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, one of the things I love about this, where, where they're going with this, is that it's not just Ray's journey to mm-hmm. become a full-fledged hero. It's Kylo Ren's journey to become a full-fledged villain. Yeah. I mean, again, this is me going to what other people have said, but I think that some people have been disappointed by Kylo Ren for not kind of being established and being a badass right away i mean there was a point in this in the theater when he throws his what people call his tantrum when he finds out the droid's gone and he starts hacking at the computer i by my first thought my first viewing was people are going to make fun of this to death this is going to be picked on heavily and sure enough it was but it had a humorous tone like i think it was it was very intentional you know i mean it it was played a little bit well yeah i mean especially this because he has the two tantrums right yeah Yeah. and i mean like i'll call it a tantrum because i think Mm -hmm. that that is what it is and i think it's intentionally that and i'll come back to that in a minute but yeah the first time he does it he's just freaking out and everybody's just kind of like whoa boy Mm -hmm. but then this sorry it's the second time that the stormtroopers actually like (laughs) <laughs> like yeah. skedaddle out of the hallway because they're like, oh great, Kylo's freaking out again. And it's the opposite of Darth Vader because he'll just sit there silently while, you know, people tremble like, what's he thinking? What's he going to do? He'll make one little gesture and choke you to death and that's that. He won't say anything. Mm-hmm. So Kylo Ren, I think he wants to be that way, but he's not, right? He's like the, you know, the teenage son and um, I found that really fascinating and a lot of that distinction was lost in all of the talk about, oh, it's just a new hope, but it's just like, you know, a new hope is just a this, and the thing that a new hope is, you know, is you know, but yeah. I can understand why people might have been disappointed to see that this person who's been built up as like the new Darth Vader is also this petulant child. Like when he takes the mask off. Yeah. I don't know if I'm picturing it in my head this way, but I'm like, I feel like I can see pimples on his face, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because he's baby face and quaffed hair. And I love how matter of fact it, the, yeah. the, the the unmasking is. He just takes it off. You know, I, I love that moment, and you see, you can see it's a great performance by Adam Driver. Well, yeah, and, and no one saw it coming either. Yeah. I, I, well, I think we all expected him to just wear this thing to the whole movie. Yeah. Well, and I think it, that's because you know, with Vader, when he finally took it off, we were like, oh God, put it back, put it back. <laughs> and I but think then, he'll but, wear it less if, I mean, now, moving forward. I mean, we're we're still. I mean, he still has not made the transformation over yet, so we're still seeing him as. I mean, if we look back at Anakin, before I mean, look at his character. Like, like as much as people want to make fun of Kylo having tantrums and stuff i mean the transformation of anakin before he he went over to the dark side was brutal like just the the character the way he acted and and uh, the dialogue and acting but like his mythos of of how he turned into darth vader was pretty weak uh 
and I don't know. It, it bothers me that people are beating up on. I, I don't know. I'm just complaining about Star Wars fans now. <laughs> well, like, I, I, this I, is okay. I gotta say this. It really, really, really bothers me that people are so hard on this movie uh, because it this shouldn't be. We got what we wanted. That we <laughs> we complained and bitched about for so long. We finally got it, and it wasn't good enough. It's like you know, you you cooked me this beautiful dinner, but it's a little too cold, and I don't really want it. Yeah. Right, and the, I think I mean when it comes to the tantrum stuff, and again I'll come back to it yeah. thematically, but I think that it's also like Chris, you've mentioned on your podcast that like Star Wars has a legacy of whiny characters yeah. that are just like cringy to watch, like with Luke before he becomes a Jedi with Anakin as a small child with yeah. Anakin it's in the I hate sand yeah. <laughs> like right like that that's one of the most memorable lines from Attack yeah. of the Clones and it's not for a good reason no. right to the point where someone actually brought him a jar of sand for him to sign at a, a, oh. a fan event yeah at celebration they, oh uh, I love that Here's the he, when, like is it this year when he finally yeah. like, ventured into the world he finally, he finally came out of his hiding hole because that he was driven into and they by just the threw sand reaction. at him yeah literally <laughs> here's one way that I think about it too if think about the Star Wars is is pop, okay? Nobody's going to say that it's avant-garde, experimental, you know, cinema. It's pop, and there's a structure to pop, you know, in order for it to penetrate the culture in a way that we can digest and understand. There's a structure, okay? And so we, I don't hear the same people who are complaining about The Force Awakens listening to their new favorite Lady Gaga song and saying, oh boy, this this tiresome verse-chorus-verse structure has been done so many times. The Beatles did it. I mean, everyone else is doing it, but they're doing new things with it, you know? And I feel that that's kind of what's at at hand with, with The Force Awakens. And I think J.J. Abrams understands how to move a movie. I mean, you don't have much time, you know, from scene to scene to really think about much what's going on. It's just like he just keeps moving to the next thing. Like he's a momentum freak, right? I mean, he's got ADD, but he just knows how to weave these things together in a really pleasing way. I'll admit with Kylo that the first time I saw him, I was a bit underwhelmed as far as like him not really representing a threat. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, but wait, he's, wait, wait, but he's only playing, becoming playing, threat But now. we know we're playing the long game with his villain. Yeah. If we look at like episode one, right? We got a, a badass villain who was wasted like instantly mm-hmm. and in they, the they, movie, they, and we never really, really got to explore that. Right? Mm-hmm. We're only seeing how badass Kylo Ren is going to be. Sure. And I mean, like at the time, I was looking at it in terms of like an isolated thing that, like, within this movie, yeah. it seems weird that this. I realize that there's uh, what's his nuts with the Voldemort face. Snoke. Help me, Snoke. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Uh, I realize that he's, you know, this looming shadow in behind and everything, but, like, to have a petulant villain in a Star Wars movie feels kind of weird. But then what... I, so I walk, I went into this screening looking for that, and I realized that, you know, the first time that he throws a tantrum and he, he's, you know, whipping the, the lightsaber through the computers and just, like, that's not necessary. Somebody's going to have to clean that up. Like, that's just <laughs> inconsiderate on top of, like, on top of everything. But, like, he immediately follows it up by doing a force choke, right? So I realized that that was a a theme throughout a lot of the movie. And it's about, a lot of it is about, like, youth and innocence and not underestimating the power of youth with an opinion, right? Because Kylo Ren is this person who, even uh, Snoke says, like, he's not completed his training yet. But still, he's... Even if he's not perfect, he's still, like, one of the most powerful people in this universe at this point. 
and Ray is the same way. Like when she's lightsaber fighting, it's it's awkward to watch because she has no idea what she's doing, but she's brimming with all this power. And Hux is the same way. I don't know how old Hux is supposed to be, uh, but he looks like 25. Yeah. Yet he's like the Richard Spencer of the Star Wars universe. He's got everybody rallied behind him. So you, you have all this enthusiasm of youth combined with some power. And then it's just a question of how that gets directed. And in Snoke's case, he's able to recognize it and point that in the direction that he wants. But I don't know. Like I said, like this was this was something that isn't just there in Kylo Ren it's it's throughout the whole movie and it goes back to that whole generational thing that you have these people who've who are living in this universe that has this like incredible mythology from a generation or two before that they're trying to live up to and they have all this this vibrant energy they don't know what to do with it um and they're I mean they're trying to figure it out well and it's also called the force awakens right I mean there's even a line in the film where Kylo Ren says you know she's 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 just testing her powers, right? Referring to Ray, like she's just getting it going. But he's the same way, right? He's trying. He doesn't need that mask. He doesn't need it for breathing the way that Darth Vader did. Darth Vader, his visage, his appearance was the result of a horrible violence that was done to him. But like Kylo Ren is making choices to be this way. You know, it's not the result of damage. He came from loving parents. You know, by all uh, you know, by all appearances, he had a loving childhood. He's choosing this actively. For me, to me, that makes it much more terrifying, the possibilities of what he will become. And I don't believe that we're going to see the mask too much moving forward. I think we're going to see a lot more of his face, and that will only make him that much more of a... And, you know, let's face it, you know, Edward mentions that how great of a villain they had with Darth Maul, and they realized it too late because they brought him back in the Clone Wars, they brought him back in Rebels, like he's a major part of it, like he didn't die. It's like, whoops, maybe we should have just had one major villain through the prequels. That would have made a big difference instead of mm-hmm. having a different one each movie. Yeah, I, I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they do with Kylo. And yeah, I think that you know, with him having his his coming out party with murdering his father and presumably fucking Leia in the next one if we're doing the whole Oedipal thing. And he did it with his mask off, which is also important. Yes, mm-hmm. that's, that's very important. Yeah, I mean, that's that's him kind of coming along and figuring out who he is instead of just trying to live up to this mythological figure. He's going to become his own mythological figure in the next one. So I, I guess the long and short of it is that I'm a lot more forgiving of it in kind of... <laughs> seeing where it's going in this place yeah i mean do we know from like toy releases or anything like does he have the mask on like are we do we know i know they expect? moved his scar it'll be a new yeah. mask i mean he lost that old one i've heard he doesn't use it much based on some rumors and spoilers and whatnot that's um, great i think the hair thing too is i mean that's that's part of that whole like impetuous youth like he's the only person in i mean poe's got his like slightly longer sort well, of shaggy Solo, sort of Han thing. Solo had the kind of longer hair too. I think it's like that sort of familiar familial connection yeah. there too. Uh, there's that roguish, even in the, in you know, on his side and the dark side, he's still roguish. You know what I mean? He doesn't quite fit in there either. Yeah. Well, and I mean, he's just like, it shows how concerned he is with the optics of things. He's not actually yet genuine in terms of his ideology. He's just He's doing what he thinks he should be doing or what he thinks other people should be doing, including the Vidal Sassoon hair that gets made fun of a lot online. Well, think about it, too. Anakin had somewhat longer hair by the time he fell, yeah, too. True. So he's, yeah. 
it was worth them doing all of this. It was worth them making, you know, this movie so that we could have that SNL sketch, um, Undercover <laughs> Bosses. Oh, the Undercover Bosses. So it weird. was all <laughs> worth it, no matter how you feel about Force Awakens, for him to become, what was his name? Like Matt the Radar. My name's Matt, Matt the Radar. I'm just here for some real talk with some real folks. <laughs> that It was all worth it for that. Okay, so um, let's do a little bit of roundtable then. Start with Chris. Uh, I mean, just tell me what's we're going to do like your favorite things about it like things that have really endured and then we'll do afterwards we'll go around again we'll say like you know the things that maybe haven't aged as well so sure. so in terms of the uh you know like i said it's been about a year and a half since this movie came out it's had some time to settle uh i mean how many times have you seen it chris uh i saw it four times in the theater jesus uh, yeah wait you guys did too right three yeah four four I saw it four Either three or four for me, yeah. Jesus. You can't see a Star Wars movie just once. You, no. That's it. When it's done, that's it. You're going to be watching it on your tiny screen for the rest of your life. Yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's, a, it's an experience. Yeah. Okay, so you saw it four times in theaters, um, and then however many times on home video. Uh, I'm losing count. Okay. Um, so what has what continues to endure for this movie for you? What do you think is going to be like the staying power of this movie? Or, or I guess also, what, like, what are your favorite parts? Uh, the staying power, I think, is the new cast um the the old or the original trilogy um actors came back played the roles perfectly harrison ford finally got the the epic death he wanted for his character now we can move on from that but i think what this movie does really well is establish a new set of leads uh in our hero um trinity i'll call again and 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 in kylo ren i think ray is going to be the next princess leia she's the next massive pop pop culture icon out of this movie um and for me actually uh, my daughter was born a few months before this movie came out. Um, so when I first saw this movie in the theaters, I thought, well, this, here's something fantastic for her to grow up with. Um, this amazing, well-rounded female protagonist. Yeah, I, I, I think she'll be the best legacy this movie um, leaves behind. Yeah. I mean, she seems on track to do a better job than... I mean, when you think about Star Wars, like you think about like Darth Vader and you think about x-wings and tie fighters but like personally i don't think about luke skywalker all that much and maybe that's just from me not swimming in the mythology of like extended universe stuff but Mm -hmm. i don't know it seems like ray's maybe got more staying power well well, he's a cipher too right like in the traditional hero narrative the hero's never the most interesting character yeah the supporting characters are there to help the hero do what he needs to do but yeah he's not in any way the most engaging it isn't until later when he starts to feel the repercussions of the past like an empire strikes back where it it antes up but you know he was never the most interesting character for me mm-hmm. uh how about you edward what's the uh what do you think is gonna stick around and, uh, and be memorable about this uh i i have to say with chris i think that that we've got three leads that are going to cut through and be uh as iconic in the universe as the original han solo luke skywalker princess leia i think we're gonna see the new characters stand shoulder to shoulder with them when in when we open back the history on the saga movie they don't really feel we got that in the the prequels like we never i mean obi-wan was was good in there but it just i don't know i felt that even even though we had a cast of new characters some cast of new characters come through in the prequels it just no i don't know everything I, i don't find anything's really really anyone really stuck out um and i find they did this well and uh, I'm curious. I'm really anxious to see where they're going to take all like this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason highlights legacies. What do you think yep. is going to? Well, I think like the emotional investment in the characters is much strong. If we look at the first film of the original trilogy, first film of this new trilogy, it's much stronger in the force awakens than in new hope. 
I mean, A New Hope is, you know, it's very stilted and rough. I mean, nobody thought this was going to be what it would become. How could they possibly know? And, uh, you know, the filmmaking is much more primitive. I mean, George Lucas, you know, is coming from an experimental film background. And a lot of that shows in, for, so in, in uh, A New Hope. And I like that. But at the same time, um, the characters don't really become the icons that they are today until Empire Strikes Back. And I still, I feel the same thing is going to be the case with The Last Jedi. Like, you know, you mentioned Rey, you know, maybe being Princess Leia to a new generation. But I, I think, you know, she's more in line with being like, you know, the Luke. You know, I mean, she's like the, the, the protagonist, but she's got something that Luke didn't have where she has this agency. Um, this, you know, she's got, it seems like that much more at stake. You know, we don't know her past yet. But she's really strong, like from the opening frame, she's living by herself. She's surviving off meager portions and um, the quarter portions, quarter right? Portions. That's what she's living off of. So I like that your podcast is called that just as an aside, <laughs> because it's like just the right name that it's like, it's just easy enough to know what it's from, but just hard enough that if you weren't paying attention in the movie, you probably have already forgotten about it's niche, portions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you, did you like when you, was this the first time you've watched the movie since you started your show? Um, oh, sorry, just for, I, I guess, I haven't said this out loud. So the name of your Star Wars podcast is, is the Quarter, quarter Portion, portion podcast. podcast. Yeah. Um, no. So I'm just wondering, like, because like, I nerded out when he said the line. I was the like, that's quarter the thing. Portion. <laughs> so I was very excited for you when I got to that part of watching the movie. Uh, I actually watched this on Netflix uh, in January as we were kind of conceiving the show. I can't remember if we had the name down or not by this point, but... Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I was home six, so I turned it on. and I saw this funny meme going around where it was literally just two frames, like comic frames, and, you know, where he offers her however many portions he did for the droid. And she says, sold. And then the next frame is credits uh, written and directed by J.J. Yeah. Abrams. <laughs> so for me, the things that really stuck out are, I mean, it was more about moments, I guess. But I've always heard people talk about how great the feeling of scope was in the original star Wars movie, but I never felt it until this one. And maybe it's because I never saw the original one in theaters, but like the opening shot where there was, again, they were doing like the huge ship and then the smaller ships and everything. Like I actually felt that this time. And uh, like when you see Ray climbing around inside of the star destroyer, destroyer. you're right inside of the start inside of the star destroyer. And when she, uh, you know, goes scooting down on her little magic carpet toboggan sand dune riding door or whatever the hell it is right like just like the scope of this thing felt absolutely enormous and the fact that the star destroyer is just like fucking up multiple planets at (laughs) once it was just like oh my like it felt like the stakes in this movie were bigger than they've ever been um everything was huge which also makes it that much scarier that it's a bunch of kids running around who are going to decide the fate of the galaxy who don't even really know what they're about yet. Well, it's important that you mentioned that, actually, because coming back to that generational idea, she's excavating, you know, she's touring through an old star destroyer, right? a skeleton, if you will. And what do we do when we research, like, a pre-civilization? We're trying to learn from their mistakes. We're trying to learn, are we headed down this path? What does this tell us about us? And every generation is sort of standing in the footstep and trying to make it either wider or put the distance between steps, you know, closer. And so, again, that's why it makes even more sense that uh, this film was made the way that it was, you know. So Yeah, I, I, I love the symbolism of, of her li- literally living in, you know, the ghosts of the Empire, of that war. Mm-hmm. Um, the very first line of the movie, this will begin to set things right. 
Um, there's a very conscious uh, element in J.J. Abrams' storytelling here of you know living off of that but making it new again. Yeah. Um, this was also, I, th- I think, the funniest Star Wars movie oh, yeah. that's been yeah. done yet. It's and- very self-aware. Yeah. yeah, and it's just like it just goes for it. And it's like, no, no, we're doing a funny bit now, mm-hmm. and we'll even do it with the villain. Like the the BB-8 <laughs> thumbs up still kills me. Yep. Uh, everything that comes, like no, even yeah, I mean, sorry. Well, I just, even when, I just when Poe and and Kylo Ren at the beginning is like, do you talk? Do I talk? What's, <laughs> what do we do? Right. Here? Like, he's got a mask on, right? Yeah. You can't read his face. Yeah, and that was the other time that like yeah. that Kylo Ren. It seems like he's being neutered right off mm-hmm. the bat by yeah. this like mm-hmm. super charming. I mean, God, like I'm basically <laughs> Tumblr when it comes to Poe. Poe is pretty awesome. <laughs> um, but then like Poe doesn't win <laughs> once it's all said and done, right? Like he gets tortured until he gives up, you know, the information. Like you can be smarmy if you want, but when you're face to face with this guy, mm-hmm. even if he is a little bit, you know, a little bit awkward and a little bit dumb, like at the end of the day, he can get what he wants from you. Um, but yeah, I really appreciated how funny it was. And then, I mean, I've already said that Star Wars is at its best when it's creating, you know, iconic moments and, you know, just being able to associate images with feelings. I guess we call that imagery. I'm not as smart <laughs> as I pretend to be. But like that moment when Ray gets the lightsaber is just, I, I, possibly the best Star Wars moment in the series. It just, it still feels so great to watch that happen and to have Kylo Ren again undermined and just have like Rey being completely OP and just being so badass. I, I love that that moment so much. And I think that that, you know, that one's going to stand the test of time for sure. It's the it's well, the handoff. I, 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 I when I saw my when I took my daughter to see it and I remember that moment when she fires the lightsaber. Like she was just in awe. I was watching her watch the scene and I think it was awesome for her to see something like that. When I took my kids to go see Rogue One. Not I. I didn't think about it because I took my daughter to see Force Awakens. She loved it, but we had not seen. She had not seen any of the original movies. We saw Rogue One, and then the whole time she like at the end when the credits came, she's like, well, "I was I was waiting for Ray and BB-8 to show up." Oh no! <laughs> she didn't realize it was connected to yeah. to a new hope. But that's what the impact it made with her is that the universe of Rogue One was totally foreign to her. Even though it had the familiarity of it, but yeah, that one wasn't for the new generation. No, that no. was for yeah, that, that was, was for the old folks. Yeah. That was yeah. for the old folks. I love that. It's just a little design choice, but I love that when Finn is holding the lightsaber, the do you call it a blade? Is that what the light yeah, part sure. is called? Yeah. We'll call it a blade. I don't know. Is that works. A, yeah, you're the resident expert. So. As far as I know, that fits. Yeah. Uh, so, like when when Finn has the lightsaber on it looks a little bit different than when Ray has it. Like when mm. Ray boots it up, it's a little bit thinner. And I just love that it has that sort of Harry Potter sort of vibe to it. That, like the wand chooses the wizard and it's like, it, it seems like it's just, I don't know. Did, did you guys notice that? I, I haven't. Or, no. Am I crazy? Okay. Well, watch that scene again, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that like when Finn's got it, it's like big and beefy. And I think that that's mm. from him just being like bravado. But then for her, it's more like this refined weapon that's actually like built for her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like Finn, it's, some people think he might be force sensitive, whether he is or not. He is a stormtrooper who's trained in this kind of combat. Mm-hmm. He's trained in melee. Um, there's stories in the expanded universe that exist now that uh, show him training with un- under Phasma with other swap mates, including the guy he fights in this movie. So you, you have the difference of a guy who knows the theory 
versus the natural when she picks it up. She, like you said, she's a little awkward with it, but she ends up beating a wounded dark side trained user. Yeah, I mean it's kind of Arya Starkish, right? Like stick it with the pointy end. Like it's this, yeah. it's this, this thinner blade. It's very this, cool. This movie, you know, is home to the angriest stormtrooper we've ever seen. Right? <laughs> Traitor! You know, like stormtroopers usually just like whine and get rocks thrown at them and stuff, but this guy was just like. What? There's a history there. Okay, so that's actually going to lead into my next question, which is about where the movie does fall short. So I wanted to go around the table again and uh, and ask. So you know, Chris, where does Force Awakens watching it again for the umpteenth billionth time? Uh, I wouldn't say umpteenth, I mean, um, a dozen. So where does it maybe lose some of its shine watching it again? Um, some of the most blatant fan service things, the trash compactor joke. You know, we all laugh in the theater, but then you think afterwards, well, how would how would Finn even know about the trash compactor? Like, I'm sure that's not a scene. He's a janitor. No, but like the, or that it, that it would be relevant for for Han at that moment. Like, I'm I'm sure it's not known in the history of you know, right. The galaxy I don't think that, he knew. I, I, I think, think it's, it's just, just like, oh yeah, like... we could dump this chick in the garbage, and yeah. he's just like giddy at the idea of getting this really petty, stinky revenge. And but... he wouldn't know that it has special significance for Han when he says it. Yeah, it's just, like... it's, just a, it's a moment that reaches too far out of the screen to go like, hey, you like Star Wars, and shake it by the shoulders. Yeah, um, th- things <laughs> I mean, like yeah, that. Yeah, we're kind of like justifying it after the fact, but yeah, yeah like that look is for us. Anytime <laughs> it reminded me of A New Hope, it wasn't a painful thing for me. I love A New Hope. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just like, yeah, that's great. You know, I'm okay with that. It didn't remind me of Phantom Menace. Didn't remind me of Attack of the Clones. So I was pretty cool. I was pretty okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just it seemed like it was trying too hard to be like, "Hey, you still with us?" Like, yeah. you know, I'm I'm being nitpicky yeah. here, but well, I'm glad like, they tried I'm, that's, hard. That's you I'm should try hard. You yeah. should try hard. Yeah, we've but talked I mean, about this before. Yeah. Like the dumbest criticism you can make of anything is <laughs> like, no, no offense to what yeah, you yeah. said, yeah, yeah. but just like, how dare you put effort into things? <laughs> how dare you not just phone this in? <laughs> <laughs> I know Lucas tried hard. It doesn't mean you're going to win because you try hard. I know we all have to admit, like, Lucas cares about this. It's just he doesn't have the chops as a filmmaker to, to execute it, you know, and everyone thinks that they do have them. But the most powerful skill is to realize there are other people who could maybe facilitate this better. I could have the vision and the ideas or whatever. But, you know, use your assets and don't, um, yeah, don't get in the way of your own art. And that's what he did. And that was un- unfortunate. So, uh, other. Aside I promise that, not to tear apart everything. <laughs> or maybe I will. Aside from that um, personal preference, the Raftar sequence was just kind of gratuitous. Hey, here's. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Get exactly that thumbs up over here. Say. Yeah, uh, just kind of gratuitous. You know, hey, we need to pick up the pace a little bit. Let's have some crazy tentacle thing. I, I, felt, that, that I felt the movie came to an absolute halt at that, that point. Because yeah. we lose Han and Chewie. Right after, as soon as we get introduced to Han and Chewie, they disappear. And and now we're following CGI creatures around a spaceship, and it it always felt weird to me because they really went out of their way before the movie came out to say, hey, you know, we've got our our feet firmly planted into practical effects. We're not doing blue screen. This is going to be the Star Wars that is tried and true that you know that you love. And then they stuck this pointless cgi but creature. also yeah but also we tested it and it turns out that there's a beat missing here that we know formulaically doesn't doesn't add anything to the movie like it I don't see forever, the purpose, man. forever but like i just i just i don't see the purpose of that scene at all yeah the uh, only it's, the it's, only... it's, it's oh, sorry it's, it's pretty much there just for for harrison ford to get his chops in you know, you, you have him trying to talk his way out of the situation you play yeah. off his history he has that what the one great shot of it is him running Punching the soldier, yeah, 
throwing him into the Raptors' mouth. You know, like there's there's the beats there for Harrison Ford, and that's yeah. And I mean, you get a bit of the Ray's force sensitivity thing that she seems to be like almost has like a, a more bionic force than we've seen before. <laughs> that she's like, I know to press this to chop off this, and then she oddly like Plays doesn't doesn't want to talk about it to yeah. Finn afterwards. <laughs> How do you feel about the the Rathtar sequence in general? I I mean, for me, it, it was little things like you said yeah. that like the all of a sudden there's this this is the cgi sequence and this monster very conveniently fits exactly within the confines of this hallway and i feel the same way that edward feels i mean they could have you know come to the conflict or the things needed in that scene by other means um you know it's just the means that they chose the scene doesn't doesn't need to be the length that it is there are two main problems in the film for me and jj abrams has actually copped to both of them one is that scene and the other is a scene later in the film where Leia or Chewie, after Han's death, walks right past Leia. Yes. They don't even yes. look. They don't yeah. even look at each other. And Leia embraces Rey, and we haven't even seen them meet. And um, it's impossible for me to fathom that that Chewbacca, after everything they've been through, would just walk past her without even looking. And J.J. Abrams said, like, it's literally a mistake. It's literally like that scene is not following from that scene. Like that was from a different moment. And. Um, but they kept it because it's like they they wanted that contact between Leia and Ray, so that mm-hmm. the scene where she's actually talking to her later could work. So it was a mistake, and I mean, in a film of that scope, there weren't a lot of mistakes like that. But that's a big one for me. That one, it's just the fact that it'll always be there now. That one hurts a bit because uh, <laughs> they've been through a lot. Let's well, so let George Lucas take care of it. He can <laughs> see. I never. I I didn't notice that Chewie walked past. Because I remember thinking this time, oh, yeah. and I, I was feeling a little bit more sensitive to Leia stuff in general. Like when she yeah. first showed up on the screen, I was like, oh. <laughs> um, but I, I, I didn't realize that that's what happens, and I didn't see that. I didn't see Chewbacca walk by. But what I saw was partially, Chris. This is framed by listening to your episode that you did about Princess Leia as a Hut Slayer, mm-hmm. um, which is such a sweet name. Mm-hmm. Um, but I saw that as Leia once again not being allowed to grieve and having responsibility come paramount to anything else because I saw that as her knowing that like she had all this grief of inside of herself and she's kind of like looking off into the distance and like flirting with the idea of being overwhelmed with the grief but then she sees Ray and whether through the force or through you know an off-screen conversation with Han recognizing that uh, this is somebody who Han had taken under his wing or was trying to um, recognizing that this person was experiencing loss and going up and trying to offer comfort. Like, that was such a Leia moment. Because mm-hmm. um, let's not forget, uh, in, in, in A New Hope, you know, she watches her planet get blown up, and then she's comforting Luke because he feels sad because his martial arts teacher got killed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she's she, she she's that selfless selfless person. She That's going to be your instinct. It, th- that, or she's that's, just a straight-up sociopath. That's well, the there, there's that, too. That shot, I, I I missed it in the theaters all four times, and now that I see it there, like, yeah, he should have been two feet to the left in that shot. But, um, yeah, that's just... It, it, it does speak to Leia's character, too. She always has been that way. And she does have that bit of, that bit of force sensitivity to pick up on that. Well, I mean, she knows when she knows when Han dies, right? Yeah. Like, before, yeah. before anything's It would have been nice even to just have them, like, he walks past or something, and then she just stops and freezes for a minute and looks back. And they just have a moment yeah. where they just look at each other, and it's just like, you know, they both know what's happened. Chewbacca was ne- would never have been one to just, like, cry and hug someone. It wouldn't have been necessary to do something big 
Just something oh, small like that. You don't think so? I mean, like when, when I don't Han, know. I say I think when like, Han like, got yeah. frozen. Yeah, he, yeah, he's whimpering. Like he, yeah, but he, I don't think that he, he when the, when he, he thought would, when they were on Hoth when they closed the door yeah. and there's a possibility that Han might be dead. Yeah. Chewie's broken. Yeah, I don't know. I just I don't think he would have needed a hug. Is what I mean. I think even just a look. No, but I think he would have given Leia. That's a true. Hug. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Like he, I mean, like he. That's the first thing he does when, when he when they well, get to the planet, just, he runs up well, and gives and, Leia and a friendly hug. This, like like, if we look if we looked at the backstory of Kylo Ren, right? So Chewie just watched Kylo Ren kill his father. Chewie obviously, I don't know if you guys have seen that comic. That's oh god, the, that's devastating. Yeah, the the yeah. one with the Chewie and the he's got Kylo Ren in the sights. Yeah, have you seen this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, Chewie would have grown up as a companion to Kylo Ren as well. Like I mean, I I don't know. I think that he he would have came out and been like I don't know. I you said it's a mistake, so I mean, I, I mean I, so we can't really like, sit there and beat up on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, he he for him, I don't think it's like necessarily a technical mistake. It was just a mistake. It was a it was mishandled. Is what it was. Yeah. What is sort of copying to? Yeah, I think because, in general, like Chewbacca is not often treated as a character. Yeah. He's a pet. Yeah, well, he to the to the disservice of the character. A new hope. Right? What's that? They, they, they don't even give him a medal at the end of a new. Right. Right. They never subtitle any of his dialogue. Yeah. Like we can only infer what he's saying based on the responses yeah. to him. Yeah, so he's basically one able, of the droids. Yeah. 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 Why are so many people able to understand, you know, his language too, right? But it's never. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're cold. That was one of my favorite <laughs> moments. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, like they they do it for fun. I just felt, like, yeah, you know, there there could have been a moment there. There should. There should have. There should have been. been a moment there. Uh, any any other nitpicking or any any other things we don't like? Uh, I, I I do have a bit of an issue at the beginning of the movie. We see like this one stormtrooper gets gunned down. Finn's like aiding him, and then you know he's got his blood on his helmet, and you know they returned back to the base, and Finn's all broken up that his stormtrooper buddy died out on the planet or on that raid, and then. Half an hour later in the movie, he's got this lightsaber and he's kicking stormtrooper ass, mm-hmm. right? Like these are people that were his peers days ago, and now he's like mowing them all down. But by the time he's mowing them down, I mean he's sort of seen through the looking glass, if you will. Like he's seen it from the other side, I guess. But we also we don't get much. But that'd of... be his family. Yeah, like, those like literally, literally the only people he's known. Since yeah, he was I born, hope we yeah. get more of his backstory in the next movie. Like I'd love to see some flashbacks to the training camp, to how they formed these bonds, and that would save those two moments for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because I'll I'll step in with some lore here again too. Okay. The, I, there, there's a there's a side story printed in a young adult novel of mm-hmm. all things, uh, where he's training with the guy he fights yeah. and the stormtrooper who dies in that sequence. Mm-hmm. So he. Like he was part of a four-man cell with those two people. You're, and you're right; he just jumps right into it and fights yeah. him. But you know, he's he's made his choice. He's picked a side, and now he's got to stand by it. I guess. Yeah, I guess. I mean, what I had down for my big, I I don't even know if it's a problem yet. But I think that I don't want to be too generous and say, well, maybe they'll answer it in one of the other. Right, movies. we are talking about just this movie. So yeah, and yeah. I mean, like, it is it is an isolated thing and granted like anybody going into it who has been following the production of the movie like they know that there are at least two other movies following and mm-hmm. they're just kind of accepted that this is part one of three um but at the same time i mean like this seems to be if not a glaring issue it's a distraction right we don't understand in any way 
how this happened, like how this person who has been trained since birth, I believe, or he was taken away as a child. Is that the idea? It's kind of unclear, but yeah, it's kind of implied he's... Right. So there's been like this like intense indoctrination all the way through and just at the first sign of conflict of him realizing... Like, I, I guess there's no, there's no like external force that's telling him that what he's doing is wrong. Like for everybody else, the indoctrination has been thorough and perfect. And they even seem to have systems in place that if somebody shows signs of this happening, we have, you know, a procedure that we go through to get people back <laughs> in line. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's what happens when Phasma's talking to Hux, I think. Yeah. They're like, when he's like, dude, like what, what, what happened with this dude? So I guess without knowing what happened and without knowing if it's going to be answered, what makes me nervous is that it's just, well, this is a thing that happened and it's just not going to make sense. Because, I mean, it's either going to have to be that there was some kind of external influence or maybe he's Force-sensitive and he's, like, in touch with the light side. I mean, that's probably where I guess I would get the most satisfaction from is that, you know, even if he's not a full-fledged Jedi, that, like, you know, if the light side of the Force is strong enough to be pulling Kylo Ren back Mm -hmm. and to give Rey powers beyond what anybody gets (laughs) within seconds of finding out that, you know, the Force exists, then maybe that's what... Kind of well, maybe him in a know, different the, direction. The, the Force Awakens, right? Maybe as these Force sensitive people are in proximity to each other, maybe that's awakens the Holy Force shit, inside of them. He's next to the Christopher Plummer guy, who is okay. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Or maybe it was the first time he was next to Kylo Ren. Okay, okay. So now I've gone from being distracted to being no. curious. So we've upgraded. I, don't know. I guess we should check uh, Flynn's, our uh, Finn's. Uh, Mini chlorine count. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I guess, okay, so that's the thing. Probably that off the even, yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'm not going to go so far as to say it's a fault, but it's something that like I genuinely hope is answered moving forward mm-hmm. to make me feel better. Because I think that if, the, let's say, like something tragic were to happen and episodes eight and nine were to never come out, then that would be a problem. That J- would be a mistake. J.J. Abrams said that he regrets stepping down as director after reading Ryan Johnson's script. He said it's one of the best things he's ever read. He mm. said he thinks it's the best Star Wars script. I'm and excited. He, he wishes that he yeah, had but, written it. But see, but see, if he's uh, this is what I'm having troubles. He has said JJ has said this, and then there's reports that Mark Hamill said that yeah. I fundamentally disagree with every aspect of Luke Skywalker's character. And but actors and filmmakers, I don't, don't want to go down this because this yeah, is yeah, not yeah. the don't last always Jedi see eye to eye, right? Like yeah. it's like the actor is looking at it from a very you know, macro sort of perspective. Like, this is me. This is what I believe this character is about. But, yeah. Well, yeah. And, I mean, like, Mark Hamill's had, what, 35 years since he played the character last yeah. to imagine in his head canon yeah. where he would have liked to, for it to have ended up. And, I mean, who knows what that was. Yeah. And he's not going to tell us because then we know that that's not what The Last Jedi does. Yeah. And I think, like, you, you guys talked on Quarter Portion, Chris, about uh, kind of the whole gray Jedi angle. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole thing that they've thrown out the window but uh there used to be a concept of a gray jedi that's right in the middle it doesn't pick a side i there's they're stepping away from that but um for mark hamill like he actually he was on a he was on a show with kevin smith and jj abrams and a few other people and a few years before the whole disney acquisition mm-hmm. and jj and him were kind of talking about how cool it would have been if luke had turned dark um so at, at one point that's what mark hamill wanted for luke skywalker it's interesting because i haven't heard any corroboration beyond this this first report of him having these thoughts yeah. it hasn't come up in the news again i don't know if there was a hush put to it it's just like look dude the movie's not even out yet like it's like hold this back until people form their own opinions kind of thing because mm-hmm. you know i'm sure ryan johnson if it is 
I don't know how much of a grain of salt to take this with, but if Ryan Johnson probably would not have been happy that Mark Hamill's already talking about that. Yeah. People are going to go into the movie thinking, oh, it's not endorsed by Mark Hamill, you know? My, my own interpretation of it was the media kind of going, let's run with this. I think yeah. so. He, he was quick be. to say, no, I come around on it entirely. Yeah. You know, I, I was wrong in the first place. I had my own care, my own idea for it. Now I like what he, Ryan's done instead. Yeah, he probably said exactly what you just said. He probably said, you know, I had, it was surprised at where it went. And the reporter heard, I was not at all approving of Ryan Johnson's treatment of this because this is how it should be. Well, and, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what you do. You mm-hmm. sensationalize, right? Yeah. That's how you get those clicks. <laughs> if it were really, really real, uh, you know, and I rarely use the same word multiple times like that in a row. Um, I think we would have heard about it again. Mm-hmm. I think it yeah. would have been in the news in a bigger way. Unless Mark Hamill's been killed and just replaced with a puppet. Truth. <laughs> okay. See, so back, back, like, back when Yoda before Disney wiped out all the canon, like they, they did do a comic book run where Luke did go to the dark side. Yeah, he, he was always flirting with it a lot. Yeah, in the he old was wearing like Vader's, Vader's suit, and uh, the Emperor was... Cloning himself, so he was still like they found out the emperor was kept clones of himself because the the darkness of the forest like destroyed his body so much. So hmm. Luke went to the dark side to join the emperor, so he could. Uh, it was it was an interesting little run. What would be more impactful, Luke going to the dark side, or Luke, you know, no longer believing in the Jedi, no longer believing in the Force, but not going to the dark side, just done with it. Because it seems like that's the implication with the movie. It's time for the Jedi to end. I don't think it means he's going to try to kill them. I think he's resigned that it's just not going to win because there's always going to be another guy with another Death Star. Yeah. Who knows? And I think Ray's going to have to challenge him. Yeah, maybe. I think they're going to they're going to tangle with the idea of whether or not the way to break the cycle is to not participate in it, or yeah. if the evil's always going to be there and the only thing you can do is to fight it. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, if we look at back at if we look at the official canon and we look at the arc, if we just stay in the saga movie, like, well, or and if we include the Clone Wars and all that stuff, I mean, like, the Jedi had such high power in the lore of Star Wars, but when you Go back and watch the prequels and the and the, the of what I've watched of the Clone Wars series. Like the Jedi's were kind of fools. Like they mm-hmm. were arrogant. They like and they were being played the entire time right underneath their nose. And maybe that's why Luke is saying this is not a sustainable lifestyle. You know, we've heard so many things about this, but it's such a tightrope act that it one slip up, and you could be on the dark side. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's the, I mean, that's one of the ideas that, I can't remember if it was you that talked about it or if I read about it afterwards, that one of the places they might be going with it is that the Jedi, pretty much ever since they were started, were already kind of corrupted somewhere along the line, and that there are actually kind of slightly more ancient teachings from this from this one book. Yeah, there was... That, and that maybe that's why he's gone to the original Jedi Temple is to actually mm-hmm. get back in touch with, like, before it got twisted. And we do, we do see a bookshelf or something like that on the in the trailer for The Last Jedi. So. Yeah, like... It, it, yeah, we see, the like, the book itself yeah. that I think in the original canon was, like, the pre-Jedi Jedi Bible. In, in the old expanded universe, you know, there was tens of thousands of years of Jedi, and we only saw the last couple of years in, mm-hmm. in the prequels. Um, but, you know, the general understanding now is that they were so far diluted from the original cause. Uh, they were just... You know, they're supposed to be peacekeepers, and here they fought in a in a war. Um, and even if you think about it, I mean, Luke's only a Jedi in the loosest terms possible. He mm-hmm. had five minutes of training with Obi Wan. Yeah. Uh, he had uh, 
a debatable amount of time on Dagobah <laughs> with Yoda. Not to get too far into it, but he's mm-hmm. he had know, a meal to, with Yoda. Basically, he had a single date. Yeah, he 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 had one one on one personal trainer session with him, and that's it. Uh, did did some flips. Now you're a Jedi. No, I mean like they they used to raise him from birth or from close yeah. to birth to be Jedi, and he had you know two days of training and the rest he's had to pick up on his own so i mean the jedi have essentially ended in a way i know we're totally far off i think there's an implication that it was much more than two days of training but yeah i mean it doesn't feel like it's it's been a huge well there there are some like canon acknowledged timeline problems with with that whole experience like you said that the yeah we talked about on the show i i I reached out to pablo hidalgo who's kind of one of the supervisors of the new story group Mm -hmm. and i said you know did was this two days on Dagobah, or was or was the Millennium, the Millennium Falcon running for weeks from the Empire? Mm. And Paulo Dago basically said, "We don't want to get too far into it. <laughs> we we yeah, want to leave it vague it because yeah. it's it's horrible." Is, is essentially mm. what he said. Yeah, there's um, no way to look closely at it and have it go well. Yeah. So just don't, just don't, <laughs> just don't look at it. Just just take it for what it is. <laughs> you want to stop asking questions? <laughs> I want to stop asking questions. I want to buy merchandise. <laughs> Listen to the way people are, in general, still excited about Star Wars, okay? Um, after this movie. Because of this movie. Like, Rogue One had, like, record attendance. You know, there was, I believe, dwindling attendance from prequel to prequel to prequel. At least, you know, it wasn't the same kind of buzz when those movies came out. And, um, you know, it just feels like Star Wars fever is back on. So the movie really, for all the people who may be complaining, like... Oftentimes, the people um, who are displeased with something are much louder than the people who are actually quite happy with it. I mean, the movies like get what are like a ninety percent fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, most people seem to generally enjoy the experience of watching it, and people are very, very excited for what's to come. And um, you know, so I yeah, I think that um, I think it's done m- more good than anything else like when i watch it i'm not just thinking about how reverential it is to the originals i'm just thinking like oh wow like this movie feels like star wars and i I feel like it'll still feel like star wars in five years and in 10 years it just you know it's speaking that language but it's it's telling a different you know it's singing a different song Mm -hmm. it's using the same chords but that's okay punk bands have gotten by on far less for a long time (laughs) and they managed to differentiate themselves from each other talking about the buzz of star wars i guess i hadn't realized how how dead it was and how quiet we all were about it because i remember the first time i ever wrote about a star wars movie was when i went to go see phantom menace when they did the 3d re-release and when they released it, they were like, yeah, and we're going to do the whole mm-hmm. like prequel trilogy. We're going to release it all in 3D. And then they didn't. Because nobody cares. Because that, that was right in between the acquisition. Yeah. I yeah. think when Disney, when Disney acquired them. Was that what killed it? I think, that's, I think they okay, killed I that just, off. Okay. That makes sense. Though. I feel like that was all, almost the equivalent of like, you can watch this trailer that you're excited about after they watch this ad for Tide. And it well, was like, yeah, that, it's yeah. like, you know, you can have like after you finish your vegetables, then you can have your dessert, right? <laughs> I don't know. I took my son to go see the 3D episode one thing. Yeah, I went to go see it, and I was like, oh, this is why people don't like it. Because yeah. <laughs> I think it was only like the second or third time I'd seen it since I saw it originally in theaters. This is a good example. Just you know, One thing we talked about with Upstream Color is I mentioned the idea of like penetrating the culture, right? Nobody could have predicted. No other movies have penetrated the culture the way that the original Star Wars films have. I don't believe it's repeatable. So what George Lucas did with the prequels, what he didn't understand 
with how important that is to Star Wars. It's not enough just to tell a story about these people, because there are so many movies better than A New Hope. There are so many. I can't even begin the list. <laughs> it's just, but it's got something. It tapped into something. I, I, I can't put it into words. Nobody can. But it, it's like the most popular movie ever made. And as a result, there's like this this cultural connection where people are, are so rabid for it because they have connected to it in a really special way. Like, why, we're still talking about it now, like the original movie, right? And the prequels did not manage to do that. And George Lucas tried. He tried, I'll release it again. Maybe the timing will be better this time. But no, like, it just... That could have happened with A New Hope. A New Hope could have been The Phantom Menace. Mm -hmm. It could have just been seen as a weirdo sci-fi movie like most of the sci-fi movies from the period were seen, and that would be that. We wouldn't be talking about it today. The culture has a lot of responsibility that they lifted it to that level. And uh, so I understand when they're angry if things aren't the way they want them to go, but the thing is, they care again. They care enough to say, oh, I really liked Force Awakens. The only thing that sucked was that it it was like not free enough from the originals, but they're not saying like, uh, Jar Jar Banks killed, or this movie's killed my childhood. You know, <laughs> like that they were saying about the prequels. Yeah. Well, okay, well, actually, I have a question for for the group of us: is where in the Star Wars saga, where would you put this? Where would you guys rank this movie? If like if we had to, out of the seven that exist, where's the Force Awakens sitting nine. in the, your top seven? The nine that exists. Let's not let's not count the animated Clone Wars. It is yeah, yeah. an actual it, movie. It Everybody exists. sleeps it on it. Okay, well, let's just, let, we're just talking saga. Okay, fine. Right. I mean, I'm just, I just want to say yeah. as a point that <laughs> you can't just pretend that that movie didn't happen. If watch we me, watch Menace. me do it. <laughs> that movie it. didn't exist. Okay, uh, Chris, you first. Star Wars canon. Where so where does it fall? For me, it's it's only behind Empire and Jedi, and those two win soundly, partly because of nostalgia. Um, I, I rank this third. Oh, I I'd say it's my second favorite one. Okay. Beside what? Empire. Behind what? Empire. Behind Empire. Uh, it, it's changed a few times for me, but uh, yeah, I think, you know, like my top is Empire, of course. Um, and then I guess I think I would still go with A New Hope just because the, the feeling of this being the beginning permeates every frame and enhances, you know, Force Awakens is a better movie than A New Hope um, on pretty much every level. But it's, it's also... A New Hope has got something that The Force Awakens does not have, which is that it's like that first step. And it feels like the adventure is is really just starting. And um, so, yeah, so that, that those would be my top three. But I, I, And there was a time when I put Sith, actually, above Jedi. For I had other problems. You know, uh, they share some of the same problems, Jedi and Sith. But Jedi's got Han Solo, and it's got Luke. It's got Darth Vader. It's got things that I care about much more than anything in Sith, so... Mm-hmm. Jedi's unfortunately I haven't seen the original cut of Jedi in long it's been too long and I think that the new cut has really hurt hurt it whereas when they released uh, um, Empire, Empire Strikes Back they didn't wreck it they actually enhanced it they fixed the continuity error they put in Ian McDermott they really they enhanced it and then Jedi like Jabba's Palace which was always kind of a slog kind of a slow scene but it was a good slow it was like sleazy and grimy in ways that we hadn't seen before and then then it became uh, <laughs> where were those guys at the See, beginning we should have known i yeah. like 1997 when i saw was sitting in the theater during that thing i should have known two years later what we'd be, all be in for yeah it felt like somebody coming. just put their hands up in front of the screen and did a shadow show in front of the scene <laughs> that i used to love 
You know, yes, the original size noodles look like a stick puppet. Yes, it did. But the song, yeah, yeah. the song, felt <laughs> the song like, was great. The song felt like something that belonged in Star Wars. It didn't feel like some like Saturday morning kids TV theme. And where were those characters before the scene? And where'd they go afterwards? <laughs> they weren't around when Boba Fett walked into the bar. There was no attempt to organically ingrain them in the scene. I don't know. That was the, when I realized that George Lucas is actually insane, and not in the genius, <laughs> not in the ingenious like Kubrick way or whatever. It's literally like he doesn't know what makes Star Wars special. His least favorite Star Wars movie, the original trilogy, was Empire Strikes Back. So that's all I have to well, say. Well, it's, it's so. he fell in love with the tech. That yeah. was the problem. And, um, and, and the toy sales. Yeah. I mean, yeah, all of that really drives home for me how much of a lucky lightning strike and uh, that. Uh, a new hope was yeah mm -hmm. like he got everything right m miraculously you know uh, what? and i don't give him in revisiting like a new hope is not a great movie no like there's massive problems with it mm -hmm. and, he and pacing problems yeah and he doesn't get full credit for that because this was a he, no, nobody cared about who's this guy and so the actors called him on everything the, some of the best scenes in that movie were ad-libbed by harrison ford to save horrible writing. But he didn't have any of that moving forward. Like, he was at a position of power where nobody was questioning George Lucas. And so we got probably what A New Hope would have been. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, again, it, like Edward said, it's like luck and timing was such a huge part of it. Yeah. Um, for my ranking, yeah. I think this is my favorite. Um, Out of all of them? Yeah, and I, I, I know. We'll have like a fight in the alleyway. Okay, this is interesting. No, that's I know, I know it's blasphemous, but I think it's be just because of my relationship with Star Wars, because mm -hmm. I all but wore out the my Return of the Jedi tape mm -hmm. when I got the the Gold Box Special Edition mm -hmm. trilogy on VHS that I think everybody had. Um, I think I've had every release. Yeah, <laughs> gold, silver. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that's like that's my nostalgia button. Star Wars is Return of the Jedi. And then my problem is whenever I try to watch the original trilogy, I start at the beginning and New Hope doesn't hold up for me at all. And I have no real emotional attachment to it. So then I rarely ever watch Empire. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think I've watched it as an adult. Do what? it soon. You have not watched Empire Strikes Back as an adult. Do it tonight. <laughs> I think, oh, okay, on. I'm only going to say two seconds about this because I could go all night about that film. It's the only film of a Star Wars canon that is in my top ten of all time greatest movies I've seen. It is, I think, one of the best movies ever made. And I think just because Irvin Kirshner brought, he, he understood the way people interact, he made the, the, the problem seem real. Like Han Solo's argument with Leia in Echo Base in the hallway, people are walking between them, things are falling from the ceiling. It felt like real people talking. And uh, the opening 20 minutes of that film is some of the most exhilarating cinema I've ever experienced. Revisit. Yeah, I think I'm also like, it, it casts such a such a large shadow now that I'm just kind of like, I don't even like, I don't yeah, I guess work so. into it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, Force Awakens still does it for me. I, did, I didn't love it this time as much as I did the first time in that I was just kind of, I wasn't swimming in the, oh my God, this is, this is Star Wars. Like this is... It seemed when I sat down and watched it that The Force Awakens was somehow fulfilling the non-existent nostalgic form that I had created in my mind for what Star Wars should be. It was Star Wars more than anything had been Star Wars for me before. Everything else was just kind of like, it's the next Star Wars movie, but it wasn't Star Wars. But The Force Awakens was in a really big way. And it, it just, it hit 
everything that I needed it to. Okay, so uh, we're going to wrap this up the way that we always do. Uh, I'm going to ask for your rating and your MVP from the movie. Uh, so rating is very easy, just on your Netflix profile. Does it get a thumbs up or a thumbs down? I think that we know the answer to all of that. But then uh, your your MVP, so uh, whether it's cast, crew, just the, the best thing that this movie's got going for it. We'll start with Chris. Um, I'm going to rate it as I do things on Netflix now. I'm going to sigh that they got rid of the five-star thing and give it a thumbs up. And my MVP is, uh, it's hard to choose because, like I said, there's four great new actors ready to lead a new generation here. But if I had to pick one, let's go with Ray for today. I think Daisy really is going to have a great career ahead of her. Um, I think we're, we're going to look back at this performance 40 years from now and say, you know, this was the start of all this. Uh, I'm going to give the movie a thumbs up. Um, I think my MVP of this is uh, BB-8. Mostly because I feel that what they accomplished with BB-8 is what George Lucas was trying to accomplish with Jar Jar Binks. Mm -hmm. Like, we can still have the actors and the storyline and everything for the adults, but we need to have something in there for the kids. And I think that's what he was hoping Jar Jar was going to do. And that failed miserably, and I feel that they nailed it with BB-8. Like he, the character was memorable. There was somebody that my kids uh, were drawn to. Actually, on my fridge, I have my daughter drew a picture of BB-8 that's on my fridge after we saw the movie. Um, and I feel that uh, it was. I, I thought that was uh, like a new a new character for that was that crossed. It was generational thing, right? Because I know in the theater when the thumbs up happened, it brought the house down in the four times I saw the the movie. It's so good. It's so hokey, but it works yeah, so it works, well. Yeah, it's just it it comes out of nowhere, and it's not like well, all of a sudden R two D 2s got jetpacks. Yeah, it was just well, like this yeah, random yeah. thing. Like there's yeah. no reason for this to be here, but yeah. this is amazing. Well, and, and that was a big problem I had too. In the prequels, we see R two do all these incredible things, and that's it. We never see that again. Yeah. Right. And BB is is nuanced in it, whereas mm-hmm. the prequel attempts were just smack you in the face. Hey, yeah. isn't this neat? Yeah. Well, and, and Edward and I talked about this, like because we saw the film together the first time, and like mm-hmm. there was a girl like a few rows back, like she's like yelped with glee when the thumbs up came yeah. up. But the thing about the realization of it is like it's clearly not designed to be a thumbs up. Like BB-8 has clearly looked at people do it and realized if he holds it a certain <clears throat> a certain way, it looks the same. And what Lucas forgot was like. C-3PO and R2-D2 had neutral faces, right? Like, they had faces that had one expression only, but you would they were designed in such a way that you could project your own emotion onto it. Whereas Jar Jar was so in your face, like, he was the guest that shows up drunk, with horrible breath, and nobody likes him, and he just keeps cracking jokes that aren't funny, and nobody can has the you know the guts to say, could you please leave? <laughs> um, and so he was too in your face to work that way, and that's where the huge failing was. He could have been fine. Like, when I first saw the movie, I remember, like, yeah, oh, what's so bad about this guy? He's not so bad. I didn't realize that he was now going to be in every single scene moving forward. Like, uh, the best thing that could have happened was they just leave him. They mm-hmm. didn't need a navigator. You know, they didn't need a navigator. I realized they were saving him, but oh boy, what if they hadn't? Maybe. But well, yeah, but, I mean, like, but they did it. But they were able to do it well with that. Like with Jar Jar, you know, they like they he was trying to push boundaries with this. Yep. Um, with BB-8, they were still like it's still there's CGI. I mean, it is a toy and it is a effect that they accomplished, but it's there's a, a nuance and a, a refinement. 
right, to the way they did it with that that kind of yeah. thing for the kids. Then. It's it's kind of like for me that I use Old Spice because those Old Spice commercials are so good <laughs> that I'm just like, I know that you're advertising to me, mm-hmm. but you're doing a really damn good job yeah. of it. And with BBA, it's like, I know you're selling me a toy, but God damn, you're doing a good job of it, well, so it, I don't mind. One of my favorite um, things about BB-8 was when um, Neil deGrasse Tyson you know, tried to do his debunk. Like, I, I, I joke with friends, you know, sometimes that, like, I won't feel like I've really arrived as a filmmaker until Neil deGrasse Tyson debunks me. And I'll feel like, yes, sweet. But he, he debunked BB-8. He said that could never work like rolling on those surfaces and stuff. And J.J. Abrams was able to do what most people can't do when Neil deGrasse debunks you. It's like, showed him, no, actually, in fact, it does work. It does work, and it's a practical effect. And here's how we did it. Hmm. And um, it's really I love that footage of watching the guy run behind BB-8, like on the on the, the rig. It's, mm-hmm. it's so satisfying to watch. <laughs> Jason, uh, rating an MVP. Yeah, definitely thumbs up. Um MVP, like I, I think you know, I lean towards towards Ray. I mean, I also, I mean, I thought, I mean, I really liked Adam Driver's performance. I, I think it was something that we haven't seen before in Star Wars. We haven't seen complex villains before. I mean, yes, Vader's complex, but mostly because of inference, mostly because of the story that we are told through other people. And he's gained complexity over the years as we project more onto him, and now we've seen a little more of where he came from. But most of his complexity comes from Luke's struggle to figure him out, and so it's in the hands of someone else. But Kylo Ren, like we're seeing his struggle, we're seeing him try to be Vader, and there's a lot of weight there. And his performance, like he, it was really unnerving, like you know, a, a little bit, like when he, was the, the, his struggle. But again, I agree with you about Ray that I think that. Uh, it's a big, it's a big win for cinema in general because I think, over the years, you know, we've dragged our, you know, the women in our lives to see Star Wars or to do these things, and you know, women, you know, much to their credit, will like will go through these things, and I feel like are often much more open-minded about cinematic experience. Like, how often do you hear guys complain, "I'm not going to go see that movie with my girlfriend" or whatever? It's just like, it's a, it's so lame. Like, you should watch anything that's good, and I think I'm very happy that we're seeing more female protagonists and it doesn't feel like a reactionary thing it feels like an organic no like a girl doesn't have to be a princess a girl doesn't have to be a queen a, a girl can just be a really strong person who's uh found herself in a huge situation and is trying to deal with it you know yeah, and, and she's and, a good character and it's a great win too for you know the female fans who have always been with the series who yeah. have always liked it but not had anything to identify with yeah. um and Yes, now they get their chance to actually openly, you know, embrace it like we always have. Yeah. And I take great pleasure in watching a woman decimate a guy who, like, we, you know, we've had the stage, we've had the floor for a long enough time. I would like to see, you know, things tip towards, uh, you know, a much more of an equal look at things like where heroes, you know, gender is not a factor. You know, it's just because I know there was some backlash from the quote-unquote men that, oh, you know, there's nothing for me to connect to here. I'm just like, oh, Jesus, man. Put your your, uh, water wings back on and jump in the pool and leave (laughs) us alone. But yeah, about the the trajectory of the antagonist and you saying that it's new because, like, Darth Vader, we didn't know that he had a trajectory until, like you said, the plot told us. With Anakin, we knew the trajectory and we were just kind of like, trying to figure out if they could justify him getting there. Yeah. 
but then with Kylo Ren, we legitimately don't know what's going to happen. And even yeah. now, even though we've said like this is his big evil coming out party, we still don't know what's going to happen. Like we don't know what's going to happen when he sees Luke again, presuming that that happens, right? And I think the new works so well in that film because of the familiarity. It's like, you know, if I want to really break something to you, something in a big way, what better way than to come into your home, a place where you feel safe, you know where everything is, and then show you how I'm going to change it all rather than just take you out to a landfill somewhere and say, like, here's all the ways that I'm going to change your life. You know what I mean? You're already going to feel, on, uh, you know, guarded and uncomfortable. And they were aware that the culture didn't really believe in Star Wars the way that it once did. And so this was their attempt to say, okay, we're going to bring you to the home that you're used to, and we're going to feed you a meal that is new within that framework. Yeah, for me, it's thumbs up, uh, Daisy Ridley, mainly because I think that... At no point did I feel like... So going back to the prequels, like they didn't feel like they were actually hanging off of anything. Like Anakin wasn't engaging. Obi-Wan was kind of a sidekick, really, even when he was off doing his own thing. It was kind of like a side quest. And But with The Force Awakens, the movie hangs on Daisy Ridley's shoulders. Like it's it. I'm not saying it's going to live and die by her performance, but at no point do you question that, like, this is somebody who is going to have a huge impact in this universe moving forward, just based on what we know about the framework of star Wars. And she's there and she's there for every part of it, for the drama of it, for the, I mean, she's there for the comedy bits. She's there for the, the great interactions with everybody. She's just everything that she needs to do, including like the physicality of the performance. She's there and she's bringing her a game and really setting the bar for what everybody else has to do with the movie. And at no point does she falter. So she's definitely my MVP of the uh, of Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so before we go, does anybody have anything that they want to, to plug? Chris, you want to tell us a little bit about what, what you do? Yeah, I do a show called The Quarter Portion Podcast. Uh, we're on all podcasting platforms I can think of. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Kyber Club. That's K-Y-B-E-R Club, as in Kyber Crystals uh, for the Rogue One. Uh, fans, uh, you can also find me on Twitter. And Rebels and Clone Wars. And Rebels and Clone Wars. You can also find me on Twitter at Hugathy, H O O G A T H Y, and at my new website, hoogrambles.com. Right on. Uh, Edward, anything that you've got going on that the world needs to know about? Um, or should? I don't want to put that much pressure uh, on you. <laughs> uh, I've got a studio downtown I've just opened, uh, and. Uh, uh, set plan are we're sitting in the middle of my studio right now and uh, of my creative agency that I've opened here in downtown London right so that's uh, Platero, Platero Visual. Visual yes right on um, and people can find you on Twitter uh, Twitter my Twitter handle is ePlatero so E-P-L-A-T-E-R-O and my website is PlateroVisual.com yeah and some really cool stuff coming out of here every time I see a Platero <laughs> Visual thing come up on my feed I'm like well this is a guaranteed watch I'm like I can't believe that somebody <laughs> I know is making stuff that looks this cool thank you uh, and then Jason Edward has got some serious mic drops coming out this year he's going to be blowing people's minds so you know it's um, you know it's my pleasure you know just like I have a film coming out this year called Glass which you know Edward was deeply deeply involved with and you know you know, he came into it later into the production, but like his, there's a, a direct feel of like the, the the scope of the film increasing from day one of his involvement moving forward. So we're both, you know, very, very excited to uh, to release it and um, it's coming this year. So uh, 
Yes. We're, we're, and you haven't said what the film is called, though. Well, I no, did. He did. He did. Oh, he did? Okay. But I will say it again. It's called Glass. Right. So, the, yeah, you have to get it out now because did you shit your pants when Shyamalan announced his next movie? No. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're getting there first. But honestly, I don't care about that man in the least. Like, I, I saw, like, his newest one split, and that, just tying that film into his only really great film is just like, wow, what a way to kill two birds with one stone. So, no, I'm not in the least bit worried. You know? <laughs> not at all. He should be worried. So. <laughs> Um, so where can people find you and follow what you're doing? Um, you can find me at my website, liminalarts.com, liminal-arts.com. Um, I'm on Facebook, like Twitter, Instagram as Jason R. Gray or Liminal Arts. You can type either of them. You can watch my last film, last two films on my Vimeo page and um, the trailer for Glass. Both trailers are up there also. So that's uh, Vimeo slash Liminal Arts? Yes. But yeah, you can you can gain access to all of these things through my website too. There's links to them all on the main page. Right on. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, so much for coming on and doing this. I know it uh, it took a while for us to get together and do this, but I think that it was good to you know give the movie some time to to sit and ferment or what whatever it is that movies do when they're percolate might be more apropos. percolate yeah. when they're swimming around in our brain brain fluids for a while. So. Thank you to each and every one of you for for coming on and doing this. Thank you. Pleasure as always. That's everything for this episode of the Netflix Podcast. If you like what you heard today, head on over to netflixblog.wordpress.com to check out the rest of the Netflix content like show notes, articles, lists, and reviews. The notes for today's episode include all sorts of fun tidbits. First of all, you can see some further reading in the form of my review of Star Wars Episode One: Phantom Menace when I saw it in 3D. You'll find links to the other episodes that we reference, like episode 36, where I talked about Upstream Color with Jason, episode 43, where I talked about Interstellar with Edward, episode 46, Under the Skin with Jason, episode 54, Strange Days with Edward, episode 55, It Follows with Jason, and episode 63, where I talked about Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers Extended Edition with Chris from this episode, as well as our co-host, Caroline Deason. For some further links and media, I've included the teaser trailer I was referencing that gave, that I consider to be peak Star Wars. That's actually the second teaser trailer. And we've embedded the two comic strips we talked about, the first being uh, the one from Rob Torno, who perfectly describes what it was like to get sucked back into the Star Wars world with the trailers for The Force Awakens, as well as the comic from Tyson Murphy that shows the heartbreaking relationship between Ben Solo and Chewbacca. As well, at the bottom, I've included some links, whether it's on Netflix or Amazon, to all the different series and movies that we talked about, like BoJack Horseman, Master of None, Paw Patrol, Star Wars Episodes 1 through 7, Rogue One, The Clone Wars Movie, The Clone Wars TV Series, and Star Wars Rebels. You can find the Netflix podcast on all of our social media platforms. We're on Facebook as Netflix, on Twitter at Netflix Pod, where you can find me at Dylan Clark Moore, and we're on SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. You can find me on Letterboxd as Dylan Clark Moore. If you'd like to support the show, there are a few ways you can do so. You can start by heading over to iTunes, Google Play, or whichever podcast platform you use and subscribing so that each new episode comes straight to you. While you're there, you can drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. Even more importantly, be sure to tell your friends about what we're doing here. You can also contribute directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign. Whether it's for the rewards or just to see us keep doing what we're doing, you can pledge your support over at patreon.com or hit support Netflix at the top of our blog. 
The Netflix podcast is produced and edited by me, Dylan Clark Moore. The theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Thank you so much and very sincerely for checking out this episode of the Netflix podcast and be sure to join me here next time for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog because even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet.